The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to episode 15 of The Wizard Files, a special interview series where we go behind the scenes with former staff members of Wizard Magazine. Joining us this time around is a fellow whose name has come up many times during past interviews, a writer who knows his comics and toys, whose work appeared in both Wizard and Toy Fair. Please welcome to the show... TJ Deach! Hey, how's it going? Doing great. Glad to have you here. Now, like I said, TJ, your name has come up constantly on the show as a, a memorable co-worker and even a <laughs> former roommate of some. I care to shed some light on what makes you so gosh darn lovable and hard to forget. Just how many incriminating <laughs> photos do you have of the wizard staffers? This is a funny thing. I, t- to answer your first question, I was just there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just happen to know all these guys. And yeah, Brian Warmoth and I were roommates as interns at a crazy university. We can get into that. <laughs> but it, it's funny, you mentioned photos. Like, most of us don't have any photos from then because it was mid to late 2000s. And so, like, phones weren't that good. So you'd have to bring a camera around and take pictures. So, like, now we'd have millions of pictures, uh, but we don't have that many. <laughs> and pretty much all the embarrassing photos ended up in the magazines anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard to embarrass uh, somebody further when it's in a national <laughs> publication. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you certainly impressed someone in the interview process. You were memorable there as well. So we want to know where your love of comics began and how you ended up with a job writing for the guide to comics and toy fair so tj please tell us your origin story all right so i had like a stack of comics from a neighbor that had totally random stuff like the first four issues of captain carrot and the zoo crew a couple of perez and wolfman teen titans and like a very confusing fantastic four acts of vengeance tie-in that never made any sense to me (laughs) but the the big thing that really hit me was in um you know 92 when they said that superman was gonna die and i was like whoa what like i wasn't a big fan of the movie but i love the cartoon all the just the character you know and that was mind-blowing so my mom and dad helped me find a copy of Superman 75. It wound up being a second printing at a used bookstore. And we, we went out wherever it was, found it. And that was that's where I, st- I was like, whoa, what happened before this? What's going to happen after this? And so that's kind of where it started. I, I started going to a comic book store called JC's Comic Stop in Toledo. And my folks were super supportive and they took me pretty much every week. And then once I could drive, I was doing it myself in high school and, and all on through, you know, I had a pull list in college and just never really stopped. I was a big DC fan right away and then kind of evolved from there. Heroes were born and, and Liefeld and, and Lee and uh, those guys got me into Marvel just because it was so crazy and then just kind of expanded from there. And in large part because wizard i I discovered wizard probably a couple years later at a mall bookstore like a walden books i think and it was just i could see it from outside i love the bookstore um, but i could see it from like out in the mall and it was it was the heroes reborn iron man captain america i think it's a jam piece maybe between lee and liefeld and i was like whoa what's that i had not somehow i had been going to the comic store but i didn't know that magazine existed or it never clicked and then i saw that it also had an article about what would be grant morrison's justice league or JLA in it. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. This is like everything I need to know about comics because I was a kid. I had like 
five or ten dollar allowance or something. And when I remember when prices went up in comics, it was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to make cuts <laughs> because <laughs> there was limited funds. There were no libraries uh, that had comics around me, no trades, nothing like that. So it was just like getting in on that ground floor and uh, learning as much as I could from a magazine that was just packed with information, but also very funny and and, and silly at times. But uh, that's where I started reading Wizard. And then I got a subscription and that went through college. It's funny. Uh, so I started out as an intern, just like Brian did, as, as we talked about. And I think I think he or Kyle mentioned finding an article in Wizard about getting an internship. Mm-hmm. And I used that exact same article to send out intern packets to like DC and Marvel and Wizard among other magazines. And so that's how I got in there. Yeah, so so I, I looked here at uh, your first appearance in the masthead that I was able to find in the archive says you you were a research assistant. It was issue 171 from January 2006. Does that seem late or does that seem about right? That's when I got hired. So I actually, I dug it out myself too because <laughs> um, I was curious what, what it was like. I was in uh, Wizard 155 as an intern. And then I think, cause I was only there for nine weeks. It was a summer internship. I think I was in like maybe this one and two more after that or something like that. Um, my picture is in the back eventually. And you know, for the, all that kind of stuff, which is like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and so in your mind, what, what was the status of wizard magazine when you arrived? Was this a prestige gig for you then? I mean, for me, it was the coolest thing. Like, as a kid, I wanted to write comics, and I just wanted to learn more, like, about comics. And I had this discussion with myself that I didn't even need to have. But, like, before I got the internship, I was like, oh, man, if I get the Marvel internship, say, or the DC and the Wizard one, which one am I going to take? Which, you know, the other two didn't get back to me, so (laughs) it wasn't an issue. (laughs) But in my mind, I was like, oh, well, at Wizard, I'm going to be able to be in contact with more more people from more places. And I mean, like I said, I loved it. I was an English major in college, and I didn't really know what I was going to do with that as a practical career. So that's kind of why I wanted to get an internship of some sort going. And I was very lucky that I did. I remember I had a really easy schedule that semester. I worked it out so I didn't have any classes on Fridays. And I remember the phone ringing and being like, and I was in bed still. I was like, ah what's this? And I like roll out of bed and I get over there just barely, probably before they're about to hang up. And I think it was, oh, it was either Doug Goldstein or Matt Senreich. And they did my phone interview that way to become an intern. And I was like, whoa, what? Like, I thought somebody was messing with me, but then I realized nobody knew what this was like of my friends. So they <laughs> call up and mess with me. But yeah, so that's, you know, we just talked a little bit and uh, I, I got an email uh, later from Joey Anarello, who's come up a lot. And, you know, he offered me the gig. He said that there's a a college nearby called Nyack University that some people stay at. And so I wound up, I must have emailed Brian or something ahead of time. And so we wound up being roommates there. And there was another guy who was another intern, Brandon, who was like our next door neighbor, but he was by himself and it was the two of us. And as Brian said, it had this weird thing we had to sign, which was like, it was in the same sentence. He mentioned no dancing, but it was no dancing, no drinking and no drugs, like in the same sentence as if those (laughs) things were comparable. And I really had this moment ahead of time of like being, you know, just like a righteous 
21 year old or whatever I was just being like, you can't tell me what to do, man. But it's like a religious college. So, and I needed a place to stay. So (laughs) I went out, stayed there. Initially, it wasn't going to be a paid internship. It was kind of like come out here and have your own car and get around. And this was only about 20, 30 minutes away from the office in Congress, which was nice. Um, But like the first day I I went out there with my parents, we moved in. I'm from Ohio. So this was coming out to New York was a big deal. And I met Brian and he was super excited. And he's like, oh, and by the way, they're going to pay us. And we're, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is just such a cool bonus. Like, oh, I'm going to be here and, and make money at the same time. That's that's very cool. So how would you describe your, your first impressions then of going into work at the Wizard offices? Shocking? Was it a depraved environment or just kind of meh? No, it was super cool. And it's funny, like I grew up reading comics, but none of my friends were really into it. And my mom has said a number of times because they went in with me to check out the office or whatever. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you found your people because you you walk in and there's a and I think a lot of people mentioned that there were like 20 huge Alex Ross paintings of like the Justice League all on one wall. And then there was some other huge kind of scroll poster on another side and like a kind of a dramatic spiral staircase that went upstairs and like pinball machine and couches and it looks super cool and then you start walking through and there's all this cool art on the wall there's the alex ross madman cover that he did as a huge poster over here i I actually own that poster i've been waiting for years to get a house space big enough to put it in (laughs) it's the best and i think somebody wound up with it so it's it's still in a good a good home at this point yes you're seeing that and then kind of coming in from the from the front on the right you see the design room there's a lot of alcoves there were some actual offices but kind of an offshoot and there, it was always dark in there because they always had the lights down and they were staring at their screens you know using <laughs> their uh, little what do you call them like the little tablet type things you know designing stuff and silhouetting things and then you kind of went around and uh, steve blackwell head of designs office is right there and then research is kind of to your left all these little bits and pieces and then you pass the the um the writer's bullpen and then there was this little alcove another one that was kind of an intern cave for for, for kind of overflow people. And then there was the editorial bullpen and price guide and, and all that stuff. And and as Brian said, we were in like around, 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 around in like almost like a shell pattern on the inside of, <laughs> of uh, again, right next to Inquest. We were right there. And there were four of us all in a room. It was uh, me and Brian and Mike Sharon was one of the guys and Zach Harrison. And we were all in that room just kind of doing whatever came up. <laughs> now, how did your role then evolve over time? You know, what we're asking, TJ, is how many fellow interns did you have to poison with expired cans of Chef Boyardee Spider-Man pasta to move up the ranks? Oh, man. Well, so it was a little bit of a process. We were all there together. I think somebody's mentioned, like, we each had a day where we had to go up in the library and just organize stuff, which was fine. And and, and then we would, uh, we did get some sidebars and news bits and pieces here and there, which was fun. And there were actually six interns that, that summer, because Ricky Purden was out there on his second tour, and the guy Brandon I mentioned before. So it was a lot of us. But really, I think the best way to really get in there was to just kind of make a good impression, to be good at writing and be quick and you know because the the schedule of a magazine is it's every month and you've got a real deadline you can't mess around with it so as long as you could not be a crazy person and also um just productive i think they were they were into it now we heard recently the story of man turn so the question is were there crazy interns you said you were there a while so did you see people that came in and be like oh boy this person's not gonna last (laughs) 
Oh, for sure. Um, I missed Manturn, but again, there were so many stories. There was a guy in our group that wound up being uh, more surprising than I think anybody expected, just with kind of the <laughs> shenanigans he got into. And yeah, I mean, once I was a, an employee, it was like, there were always interns. Some lasted a really long time. I mean, I was there when Paul was there, who was on a couple episodes ago. Sometimes we'd get a big crop in. Sometimes we'd get a little crop. And and again, like sometimes yeah, it, it sounds bad, but like sometimes you remember those people and sometimes you don't. Like I remember Paul and, and there was uh, a lot of guys that I remember that came through that were fun. But it, again, you like you're just kind of working. And so for me specifically, I had my nine weeks. I went home, finished out my senior year of college, and then I waited around. I had kept emailing Joe saying like, hey, I don't know about if you're uh, if you have any openings. And there was one that I think wound up going to Ben Morris, who was on the show because the timing he, he emailed me. But I was like halfway through my senior year of college. And I was like, oh, I think it'd be pretty irresponsible. Uh, and I don't think my parents would be that supportive of me <laughs> bailing now. <laughs> so, yeah, eventually I was home for a few months and and an opening came up and actually like flew out and it was very it was kind of funny because like I knew everybody but I still showed up in like a shirt and tie and a, and a sport coat and you know like they, they paid to fly me out and put me up in a hotel and I was talking to Dylan Brucey who's come up a number of times he was in research and photographer extraordinaire and we were at lunch or something and I remember him coming up to me and being like hey man you know you didn't have to wear a tie right I was like yeah of course <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I had to like at least uh, try to look like a professional grown up, at least in that moment. <laughs> now, what would you say as you got back into that that official tenure there? What was maybe some of your uh, your most high profile work or who were some of the more intimidating comics pros you had to interact with? Oh, man. Well, so my job was in research. I think I think Ben talked about this a little bit. We worked for all the magazines, Toy Fair, Anime, Inquest, and Wizard. And so we were on a much tighter schedule than everybody else. So we got all the photos and images that showed up in the magazines. And we would, you know, scan them or try to get a digital image and pass it along to design, and then they would put it together. So I wasn't as involved in the writing of it. Uh, I, they would throw me some articles here and there. But one of my earliest things that I had to do, I remember, was my boss comes over, and like I was very nervous on the phone about calling people. And he, he was like, hey, I need you to call Alex Ross and ask him about whatever it was. And I was like, oh, oh, cool. The greatest artist around right now. I'll just call him up. Okay. And so I do. And he's got like a real deep voice. And I'm like, hi, this is TJ from Wizard. And he's like, (laughs) TJ, you're my wife. And I was like, (laughs) and that is what his wife's name is. So I was like, oh, okay. So that that was like, I was super nervous. And then that, that moment was like, wait, what's happening? And then and then it was fine after that, which is kind of like a good uh, metaphor for Wizard, I think. <laughs> it just kind of got thrown in the deep end and it was like, okay, figure out how to write stuff. And, you know, the editors were good about about kind of leading you along in, in the way that made sense. But a lot of it was just like, okay, you, you're here, do it. <laughs> and so now do you recall, because obviously that, that was an awkward moment that turned out to be fine. Was there any just like controversy in the comics industry during your era, whether it was Wizard related or not, where you're kind of like, this was like a big deal. I remember everybody talking about this. I mean, there was just kind of always something going on. Not always like huge stuff. I mean, we would know about stuff way before it was happening because of the lead time that it takes to make a magazine. I mean, I think it was two months or so. So DC and Marvel would tell us 
everything that was going on. I think the writers would even get invited to the summits at, at certain points as those meetings progressed and as the magazine was going on. So we kind of knew what was happening a lot of times. And you would hear some stuff and be like, uh, OK, like that doesn't sound great. And then either it would get totally changed or just scrapped. I mean, we ran articles at times on stories that just never happened because for whatever reason, things would get changed around. One funny thing that happened when I was an intern is that we got called into a meeting and it was like very serious. We were told under no uncertain terms, if if anything left this room outside of Wizard, we would be summarily fired and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, what's going on? And it, it, it turned out that Stanley had a cold and had gone into the hospital. I'm telling this story a little bit differently than I used to now that he's, he's no longer with us. Yeah. So the scare was that Stanley was going to pass away. And so we spent at least a week researching and writing an entire magazine's worth of content that never went out because he was he was totally fine. Like wires got crossed. Somebody like tipped us off with a bad tip, basically. And so we had to prepare an entire magazine that, yeah, it's just it's maybe on a hard drive somewhere, but it just never <laughs> happened. So it was a lot of stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't controversy, but I was there when, you know, Michael Turner passed away, which was super sad because we were all at a show and we found out and he was a big part of the magazine. And and even the people upstairs who weren't generally comic book people were, I remember, very upset because, you know, he was a big deal and he really did a lot for us uh, mm-hmm. over the years and, and especially with conventions and all that stuff. So it was a weird mix of like, you know, sure, there were times where like DC was mad that we put X, Y and Z in an article or or whatever. And because and, they had so many moving parts at that time, this was post Infinite Crisis and, and they were always having some giant story. So even if you didn't mean to, you could accidentally write something that was a spoiler that you didn't even know about that happened a few times to people now you mentioned you know obviously you were working between all the magazines in those early days now talk to us a little bit about your contributions to toy fair would you say your time was split equally between working between the two magazines or did it skew more towards toy fair eventually yeah so about let's see 2008 so i was there from about 06 to 08 in research which it feels like it was a lot longer than that. <laughs> but um, to kind of go back a little bit, the idea coming in to research, and I think Ben talked about this and, and maybe a few of the other guys, was that you were kind of being groomed to become a staff writer. That was how it was explained to us and, and kind of the expected way. And, and it happened with uh, Chris Ward and Ben Morris and, and a lot of the other guys who wound up being writers. And so Kyle mentioned, you know, him coming in and, and he was an intern for a while. He was after me as an intern. He was actually an intern when I started working there full time. And so it was a very big surprise when he got that job. Um, nothing against Kyle, but there were, you know, there was me and, and another guy in research and we were both like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, so what's going on now? So that yeah. was a little, but again, Kyle's like a good friend. There's nothing, nothing bad against him. But what I also realized was like, I didn't really put myself out there. I wasn't like, hey, I want this job, which was a bad idea. So later on, when my friend uh, Justin Acklin, one of the kind of longtime Toy Fair guys, he was leaving. And so that meant that it was just going to be Zach Oat and he, he was the editor and John Gutierrez was the price guide editor and Adam Tracy was the managing editor. So they needed somebody else. 
else. And so I went, you know, I talked to my boss, Dan Riley. He was the head of research, best guy ever. So, so supportive of us, you know, trying to do both our research work, which was primary, but then he'd also give us time to go like do an interview or, or something else if we want, if we had an assignment for Wizard or, or Toy Fair. And he w- he was very supportive of me. He put a good word in. I talked to the Toy Fair guys and I eventually got that what wound up being the associate editor job. So I, I had written for Toy Fair before that. And even after my internship, I did a little freelance for them in the price guide. But at that point, I officially moved out of research and into the physical Toy Fair office, which was very cool. So now when writing for Toy Fair, did it feel much different than the wizard vibe? I only say that because, you know, toy news is like, you know, products and characters and a lot of them are based on comics, but there's not like a story to report on. There's just like manufacturing of toys and sculpting of toys. You know what I'm so like, how did that get organized in terms of, okay, this is what we're going to focus on this month? Well, the coolest thing about Toy Fair, I was actually just flipping through like an issue or two just to kind of, you know, cast my mind back that way. And, and the really neat thing about toys in general, but especially at that time, is they're not their own thing usually. It's usually a toy about a movie or a, a comic or a video game or all this stuff you like. So you can work a lot more stuff into Toy Fair, I thought, that would work in Wizards. Funny enough, uh, early on in my tenure there, Big Bang Theory had just started and I was watching it and I was like, oh, there's a lot of cool stuff like in the background of this show, a lot of DC collectibles type stuff. And so I wound up interviewing just by like searching around online. I found the somebody in charge of PR there and I pitched a story to my, my boss and I was like, hey, what if we did a story kind of like if we could get a big shot, do a two page spread and it just points out all the cool stuff in the room. And we wound up actually I interviewed uh, Bill Prady, who's like the executive producer of that show and like a pretty big deal and the the set designer guy. And so we could work a lot of stuff into the magazine. So. Sure. Like the one I'm looking at right now is uh, 144 had a Ghostbusters cover. They were fine. Mattel was doing Ghostbusters toys for the first time since, you know, the 80s or 90s. And it was like, oh, I got to interview Harold Ramis in that in that issue. We did a bunch of stuff about 1984, the year 1984 and all the cool movies that came out that year. So it was such a wide net you could cast. There were some things that we had to cover for, you know, business purposes that would come down, um, but not as much. They kind of left Toy Fair alone more. Uh, than they did Wizard, because we were just kind of our own little entity. There wasn't necessarily like toy shows they were trying to do. They were doing comic book shows. So they they really just kind of let us do what we wanted. Uh, but yeah, for like incoming, that was the opening section. It was just just toys, pictures of toys and, and write ups. And you try to get all the basic information in there. You know, who's putting it out? When's it coming out? Who the characters are? And then you could throw in jokes about whatever it was. And then we would after we had that part written up, we would do the word balloons, which was like the most fun part. <laughs> so I'm very curious now because you. you, cause you you mentioned obviously Doug Goldstein was a big part of Toy Fair and he said he even did your phone interview all those things so was he still around even when Robot Chicken was becoming a thing was he still working at Toy Fair okay no so so he it was funny like I had uh let's see my internship I you know I came out that summer and I had talked to you know I'm thinking it might have been Matt I I don't know it was either Matt or Doug it's a long time ago but either or yeah both of them exactly and so I I was like, oh, where are those guys? And they're like, oh, they left. (laughs) Uh, I was like, oh, oh, okay. And like uh, Mel Kylo was still there as an editor, but he had gone out with them to help them move, I guess, or something. And he he was he was gone for like the first week or so of my internship. So I I met him later. But it it was like, oh, yeah, those guys are going out. They're going to start a show that's kind of like Twisted Toy Fair Theater. And I found out later that I guess they actually like 
brought the idea of the show to some higher ups at Wizard, and they were like, "Nah, we're good." So, <laughs> just a you know another interesting business choice. Yeah, for but, sure. And speaking of that, so with Toy Fair, then did you end up creating much content then for the website? Did that be, did Toy Fair become a big part of that? So I was still in research, like when Rick started, and and they were doing that big push for web content. And just one thing to kind of add to that whole conversation, and I totally agree. He was hamstrung from the beginning, him and Brian and, and later Jim Gibbons. All those guys just had a rough a rough go of what they wanted to do. But the problem kind of on the research and, and writer and editorial end, at least from my perspective, was they basically came to us and said, hey, you guys are going to write for the website. And it's like, oh, like when I'm not, and we were actually given beats. It was like, you got to look around online and find news for like, like, I think one of mine was just Thor, the character Thor and something, some other stuff like that. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I got to do research. We're closing books every week to get them out to the publisher. I'm doing and we weren't getting I don't think we were getting freelance for that. So, like, if if I as a researcher wrote for Toy Fair or Wizard, I would get freelance in addition to my my regular pittance <laughs> of a salary, <laughs> which was a nice boost. But like they weren't going to pay us and they were just kind of expected us to do this stuff. And so I think that was a lot of pushback to some extent. We resented having to be like, oh, hey, do more work for no money and <laughs> just yeah. do it. But I think even with that, that, that kind of fell away. There were a lot of like initiatives that kind of came out and then they just didn't work. And so they would kind of fall away. Nobody would ever mention them again. And that was one of them. Uh, but they, they we would repurpose content for the web. You can still find some some toy fair articles i think on like the wayback machine because all those websites are toast now but um we didn't do a ton just for the web because again when uh so like i said i i started working with zach zach after my first issue of toy fair wound up leaving and then they they got justin to come back uh and then he was the editor there i was only there for a year after that and so it was just the two of us we uh we had a managing editor uh adam tracy he got moved up to conventions and uh we and john gutierrez did a price guide for us but then he was also like uh as mentioned a team comedy very funny guy so we would all kind of work on Twisted Toy Fair Theater together and that stuff. But we didn't have a very big team, so we farmed a lot of stuff out. But after a while, it was like, you know, they're not going to pay anybody extra, like freelancers, to write for the website, as far as I knew. So there wasn't a lot of extra content provided outside of, like, what what Brian and uh, and Rick did and, and Sean, Sean Collins and, and a lot of those guys. So... It was more repurposed type stuff. And now you mentioned conventions. So obviously we know they were a big part of the, the wizard business model, you know, by the mid 2000s there. I mean, that was kind of where they were putting their focus in a lot of ways. So what were kind of the best and worst parts of working the conventions? Like, was it a party? Was it hard work? Or how did you feel about it? It was all of that. <laughs> um, I didn't. <laughs> Again, like uh, this is one of the kind of downsides of being in research. There were about four or five of us in research at any given time, but they would only send usually Dan, my boss, who was a photographer and videographer, and then Dylan, who was a photographer, because a lot of it was just kind of running around and, and taking photos of people and crazy things. And, and, and a funny thing to think about now is like one of the hardest things to get for the magazine was those little headshots of the creators. Mm -hmm. That would run in like top 10 or all that stuff, because, again, like there's no good cameras on phones and, and like you'd have to like have somebody take your picture. And, you know, you probably had a digital camera by that point. So it was a little easier. But there were so many times where my job was just like emailing creators and be like, kid. And it always felt weird. Like, hey, can you send me a photo of yourself? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things they would do was just run around and shoot as many prominent 
creators as they could with the camera so that we could use that later on. But since those two guys were usually going and doing that stuff, the rest of us stayed back. But as an intern, I actually flew myself out to go to the Chicago show because my time, (laughs) the reason I only did nine weeks was because I had to get my wisdom teeth pulled. And so I had to go home, but they were like, hey man, if you want to come out for Wizard World Chicago, you can stay in a room. And and I must have worked the floor to some extent, but I did that. And that was super fun because that was a wild show. I met like Eric Larson in the in the hotel bar. We were just hanging out and uh, Lou Ferrigno was there. And at that show, there was a lot of rooms kind of opened out onto it. There was a hallway, but you could look down and there was a restaurant there. So a lot of people were coming in and out. I remember like seeing two creators getting like a dance fight over there. And (laughs) (laughs) one of our interns, I think, got arrested or like cuffed or something. It was just crazy. And I think what my job was, was just kind of like you've seen those those orange shirts that have I I don't know if you have one or I actually own one now. Yeah, I got one. Okay. So if my memory serves me right, those were given out to volunteers who would come in and they were basically human traffic cones. So (laughs) (laughs) they would be placed throughout the show floor to, you know how like at a show, like a line will be really long. So you don't want it to block everything. So one will be kind of on this corner and one will be on the other corner and they'll just kind of send people over. Now, in exchange for that, they only had to work half a day and they got a free pass to the show for, I think, the rest of the weekend. So that's where those things came in. And then I was super low level. So I was just like a slight step above them telling them where to go. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that was all I remember about actually working that show. But yeah, it was a lot of like, again, I was like 21 for that one. So it was just just like being awestruck at at just like, oh, these are these are cool people. Uh, I I, I guess I didn't mention it, but everybody at Wizard was super cool. I I was worried that, you know, I'd come in as an intern and just they'd be like, all right, go make copies. But it was everybody was cool. Warmoth mentioned us going to Mike Cotton and a bunch of the guys had a house that they rented that was within walking distance. So basically every Friday night we would go into Nyack, usually a bar called Olives, and hang out there. And we were invited to that, which I was super impressed by. And then on on Saturdays, they'd have cookouts at that house. And so we'd go there. But just to see that kind of across the entire the entire industry. I mean, I, I met Mark Miller for a second at that show with Brian, actually. And uh, just uh, it's just so many cool things, little moments of just like, oh, these are normal people. And I'm kind of like a part of it now. And that was just as an intern, which was super fun. You know, you, you went through a list of names there. But one person that uh, we haven't heard about yet uh, is the big cheese himself. Now, you said here you're you're tied up in research for a long time, all of that. But did you ever catch a glimpse of Garib Sheamus? And can you tell us, cool or fool? Just like Brian said, like he wasn't there. And Kyle said it, too. I mean, we were in the Congress office, which is like an hour and a half outside of New York City. There was a a New York office, which I can talk about because they moved us there <laughs> eventually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he was around sometimes. He didn't know my name. He didn't know who I was. He would always like introduce himself. I've met him several times since then out in the world. I actually see him at Toy Fair every year, just wow. randomly. It just happens. But we don't really I mean, he doesn't know who I am and there's nothing to say. So uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's you know, he was a non-entity. I mean, his brother Stephen was there a lot more. And he would, uh, he was a heavier hand in, in things going on. But well, that's what I'm curious about because Steven is somebody who doesn't get mentioned all that much. And yet we saw him, you know, in the early days of the magazine, he had his own column about cards. And then later on, he's in the masthead. So what can you tell us about Steven from your recollection and interactions? I, I don't really know what he did. I know that he <laughs> had to do, he had to do some stuff with the store. And I think Kyle actually put it perfectly 
when you talk to him where he said that like these guys this company kind of came up in the collector boom and were always trying to make a buck on something and they always had the store in the warehouse part of the same building we were in and so there were times where like things were being in i don't know if this was him specifically or what but like there was just a lot of times where it was like hey put this in or, or cover this and so we we're like oh okay and we didn't know what it was about until later on and and sometimes it, it had to do with them wanting to make more money off of a certain product or whatnot right. so the upstairs downstairs divide was pretty strong in that the downstairs was all the editorial and creative people and design and research and we were all doing our best to put out like a really good magazine or magazines as it were and then like you know and the upstairs people they had very different jobs i mean they were trying to sell ads and all that stuff so just a totally different kind of mindset on, on what could and, and maybe should be done in the pages of the magazines yeah so, so it sounds like there was some you know changing of the guard towards the end of your tenure <laughs> there and uh, so were you there when pat mccallum and brian Cunningham and everybody had, were asked to leave, essentially? Oh, yeah. I saw um, there was a while where somebody was getting fired, at least I think it was on Thursdays, and it was every Thursday. I remember going out to lunch and coming back with a bunch of people, including a guy that then got, you know, let go that day. And, and I, I saw everybody, a lot of my friends get let go. And I mean, they I don't know how they put it, budget cuts. It seemed like they were kind of getting rid of just the people that cost the most money who had been there the longest after a while. So yeah, they got they got rid of Pat. I don't know why. It's so funny. I had the exact same story that Kyle did about having no experience with Pat whatsoever, except for him yelling at me about that exact same column that that Kyle mentioned. Um, he, he was telling that story and I was like, wait, did that happen to him or did it happen to me? Cause it was, it was <laughs> word for word. Like we didn't check our email at home at that point. Cause like I was a research, nothing was going to come up. And it just, again, like we were in our early twenties and just doing whatever. And, and that wasn't part of the job. And so it, it never occurred to me and I got reamed out the next day by him. And that was like one of our few interactions. And and again, like also like Kyle said, outside of work, the few times that he was around, he was super cool. But yeah, I saw he was gone. They let Brian go when I was still there. Um, gosh, I think they let most of the guys who'd been there for a really long time, except for like Dan Riley. He was in charge of research the whole time that I was there. And yeah, they brought in a guy named Scott Gramling who worked for, I want to say he actually was a, a wizard freelancer writer, like before my time. And then I think he worked for like FHM or stuff or one of those kinds of like men's magazines. And then they brought him in somehow to be our editor in chief. And that's when I think that's around the time when it changed from like the guide to comics to what do they call it? The guide to entertainment or something. Yeah. Something like I mean, that's what I was saying. That, that sounds like it accounts very well for the direction that the magazine took ultimately now. So was it during this time, was that all in Congress? And then with that changing the guard, they moved you to New York then? It was a little bit after that. Scott was there for a, a little while. There was just one day where, you know, they called a big meeting in. Uh, so the warehouse, as I mentioned, was they sold a bunch of stuff. So it looked like uh, in that video you guys posted. Yeah. Uh, that that crope shot that's what it was it was like these huge shelves of stuff and they would you know people would order stuff online and and you know they'd they'd send it out so that was a big part of it there was also the photo pit which you can see in that in that video and then there was also kind of a lunch room space which for some reason they made to look like it was outside they like painted the cement green and it was, it was all <laughs> picnic tables and there was like a you know one of those like fake roofs that come out of the wall yeah. sort of a thing <laughs> That's where the vending machines were and the refrigerator and all that kind of stuff. So so they brought us all in there, which which like never happened unless it was like insurance, unless they were telling us our insurance was changing. And basically the meeting was like, hey, we're going to move to 
the city. And we're like, what? He says, like, yeah, we're going to move to our city office. So uh, you're not going to make any more. I mean, <laughs> this wasn't directly stated. I think maybe somebody asked was like, are you going to pay us more to, to work in the most expensive city on, in the country? And they were like, no. So that's what's going to happen. And then it got really weird after that. So I mentioned the upstairs downstairs divide. Well, they had gotten rid of enough people where they decided to move everybody upstairs. So we had our own toy fair office. This was around the time when Inquest was already gone and they put the axe to anime insider at this point too, because they didn't move down to the city with us. I remember that. And so, yeah, we just all had to move upstairs for, for no particular reason. And there was, th- these were pretty, you know, I, I love that job. I look back on it very fondly, but these were like pretty dark times because we just came in one day and I walked around the downstairs and it was almost like somebody had come in with like an anti-furniture gun and zapped all the furniture out of every <laughs> office, but left magazines and anything that would have been on the desks or on the bookshelves. All that stuff was just on the floor now. And it was the weirdest you know, it's like seeing your the home you grew up in, like, devastated. You know, it was yeah. so weird. And we were upstairs, and it was okay. And then there were there were more cuts, and eventually they made us move to the city. And I think it was, like, the summer of 09. And it was actually, like, I don't think anybody was looking forward to it unless, you know, like Kyle said, some people lived in the city. So they, they were like, finally, I don't have to travel as far. But like I said, there was no there was no extra compensation. They did help us out with train tickets a little bit, which was good because it was about an hour and a half for me to get from where we lived at that point down to the city. And so, you know, also by that time, you just kind of figured the end was near no matter what you did. You could kind of feel the wheels falling off the bus a little bit. And so I I, kind of took advantage of being in the city. A bunch of my buddies had left and were working at Marvel. Ben Morris, who's been on the show. Ricky Purden, who was another guy I used to live with for a little while. Ryan Panagos. And then a lot of guys just lived or worked in the city. So it was kind of neat to be down there and just to be able to, like, see those guys again and get together. We'd have lunches and stuff. So that part was nice. And it was cool. I'd never worked in the city and it was summer, so it was nice. It wasn't too hot. So, like, it was kind of the perfect the perfect storm for being there. But it, for me, it didn't last very long. There was like, uh, I, again, a Thursday I was home and I got a phone call at like eight o'clock at night and they were like, we're going to have to let you go. And it wasn't, they said it wasn't performance or anything like that. They were just kind of cutting the position or whatever, which was crazy to me. Cause it's not like I made that much money. So I don't know what the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's not like saved. Me, yeah, was, was going to do that much. But I think by the year after that, they were, all the magazines were done. I still freelance. I actually wrote the entire incoming section, I think, at that point for Toy Fair, which was a really uh, it was they were like, hey, you can still write for us. But, you know, you, you don't work here anymore. So so that was weird uh, and a big blow. But like, you know, they were done by a year after that. And then they mm-hmm. they turned it into uh, you guys, I'm sure, know this PDF downloadable magazine thing. It'd be interesting to see if we could locate some copies of that. I'm sure it's preserved somewhere. I have the first two on my. I just found them on my hard drive. I can oh send them wow, to that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many they made though. I I remember it being kind of an interesting idea, but by then they had shelled. I think basically they kind of cut. They moved buildings again, and then I think they just kind of. Again, I wasn't there for it, but I think they just kind of conglomerated everybody who was left from Toy Fair and Wizard into kind of one staff, and then they worked on whatever that thing was called, Wizard World or or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So it it kind of ended. 
it, it and nobody was really surprised how it ended having worked there um but it was still a shame when you know i mean that magazine was super important to me and as a kid it, it taught me almost everything i knew about comics and it was a great place to work for a while until it kind of went downhill a little bit yeah, that's kind of wild. So uh, either in the move to New York or just before those final days and you got the call, did you hang on to any swag or do you have like mementos that you were able to, to keep in your collection to remember those good days? Oh, yeah, dude. I, I am a pack rat <laughs> and my office is just filled at my at my house just filled with stuff so like i've got a i've got a really cool han solo gentle giant statue up here one of the great things wizard you know you could get stuff and you know there was a lot of free comics and trades lying around that you could have and and there was a free table where people would just put stuff and like even if it was like cds or whatever they didn't want you could just put anything on there and, and kind of <laughs> get rid of it which is cool i i miss that actually but yeah one of the benefits of working for toy fair was like especially after we moved to the city it was like hey man we don't have room for this stuff anymore we went from this huge space where there was a toy library there was a, its own broom and everything was organized by boxes and it was pretty well organized but after a certain point it was like just just take what you want because there's no space for it and when we moved from congress to new york they cleared out the comic book library as much as possible mostly wow. with trades and then it was like and it wasn't that much stuff and they were like okay you guys can take whatever you want and so I, I left there with a couple long boxes of stuff, <laughs> including I have an, a, a copy of Avengers Annual number 10, I think, signed by George Perez somewhere Whoa! from that. It was just like it was sitting there. So I was like and I'd seen that book every single time I was flipping through looking for, you know, as a research assistant, trying to find what I needed for something. And so I knew it was there and I and I looked and I was like, OK, is, it's cool if I take this. They're like, yeah, go ahead. We don't you know, we don't have the space. And I don't know what they did with the building. I think the idea of moving us all upstairs was that they were going to see if they could rent out the downstairs <laughs> or something for a while because they weren't able to sell the building at first like they wanted to. So it was weird. I do remember seeing some tours going through. And and, and here's the thing, like it was kind of gross in there. <laughs> it was mostly dudes. There were a couple women who worked there, but mostly a bunch of dudes in their 20s. So like not necessarily the cleanest people in the world. And like, I don't know how much that place got cleaned in general. So I, I can only imagine what like a normal business person was thinking when they walked through to be like, yeah, no, we're not going to rent this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's gross. <laughs> So now how did working at Wizard then affect your future job opportunities? So it was weird timing. Uh, I had been married for a few years at that point, and we were kind of talking about having kids when I got laid off. And so I, I went on a few interviews and I'd actually gone on a few interviews when I was still at Wizard that were super weird. Interviews in New York City can be very strange. And uh, but nothing happened. Unfortunately, that was the economic downturn. So like that was hitting Wizard as much as anybody else, plus there were a lot of hiring freezes on and stuff like that. So I wasn't able to find uh, a full job. But like I said, when I was let go from Toy Fair, they said, you can keep writing for us. So I did. And then Ben Morris had already been at Marvel for a while uh, and he was working at Marvel.com. And I like immediately after I, I mentioned what had happened, he was like, OK, you, you can write for me. So I, I started freelancing for him and another guy, Rob Bricken, who kind of an OG wizard guy who also mm -hmm. worked at Anime Insider and kind of ran that for a while. He ran the the Village Voice kind of nerd blog, which was called Topless Robot. And oh, so yeah. I read yeah, I was, was on that site a lot back in the day. 
Oh, man. It was so fun because it was like, hey, Rob, I have an idea for like the craziest mall moments from movies. And he's like, oh, cool. Go ahead. And, you know, you get to write all this crazy nonsense and and get paid for it. So Uh, and I have to say, you know, for people who don't remember Topless Robot, and I know it's back in a different form now, but in its its original incarnation, a lot of people have asked, was there ever an online equivalent of Wizard? And in Attitude, I always felt like, yeah, Topless Robot had that. Now I know why. So that's really interesting. Yeah, so Rob totally started that, and 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 he really, I think he brought kind of the the kind of tone from Wizard over there, just having fun with stuff. And and you know, I know Wizard gets accused of being kind of uh, sophomoric at times, and and it certainly was. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But there was a a level of humor in that magazine, I think that you don't really get a lot anymore, especially in kind of the web comic news world. It's kind of very kind of cut and dry, a lot of it. So I, I did have to curtail a little bit of that when I started kind of freelancing. So, oh, sorry. So, so I, I decided to stay a freelancer because uh, it made more sense for me to stay home with our kids, which we wound up having too. So I, I've been working from home yeah, 11 years. Now, we're in the 30th anniversary year of Wizard, and obviously Toy Fair had a long legacy as well. So when you look back uh, and you, you see those two publications, you know, you mentioned for you personally, they meant a lot when you were younger. Do you feel like they are remembered you in your interactions with people? They're like, oh, I remember this thing in Toy Fair once. I mean, do, do they have that legacy that remains? It depends. So I, it's it's very, very funny, like having mentioned that I've been doing this for 11 years, it's crazy to me that I I was only a wizard for like four or five years and I've been doing this twice as long, but it it comes up every now and then. And uh, there is kind of an interesting connection with like because most of my friends work there at this point, <laughs> except for my friends from home who don't uh, care. But so some people like creators I've I've talked to over the years were like, oh, yeah, wizard was great. The, the very funny thing is, and I think anybody who works for Toy Fair will tell you this, is that even if someone didn't like Wizard or has a like a bad thing to say about Wizard, they will always say that Toy Fair was good, which is very I was going to ask about that because it does feel like Toy Fair escaped that wrath. They were yes. their own thing. Yeah. Well, there were there were fewer like comics of boobs and butts, you know, <laughs> fewer action figure opportunities to make dumb jokes like that, because a lot of that stuff came from other people of like, hey, you have to write a thing about butts in this sidebar you're like what i don't okay (laughs) and you know sometimes those things got the kibosh and sometimes they didn't but um yeah we were able to have humor and be funny without you know and i'm sure there was some gross stuff in there by you know having evolved as a human as i hope i have but like yeah it was cool and a lot of people don't don't know about it i've had to explain what a magazine is to my children like the very idea of like I worked at a magazine is is so kind of foreign to them. <laughs> and it's a bummer. Like, it's a bummer that they couldn't. And well, who knows what's going to happen, but that they couldn't keep it together or kind of evolve. Because, like, think of how cool of like a YouTube channel Toy Fair would be. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like uh, and, and we had we had Alex Kropenak and, and Justin Hamill doing those amazing videos for a while and they let them go. So it was like, uh, <laughs> what do we do? And so, yeah, there 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 is like an alternate universe I like to think of where Wizard was able to evolve into like a different kind of company <laughs> or or do something that, that survived longer. Because I think there was a lot of good in there that could still be brought to the world of comics and geekery right now. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously you've been talking about the work you've been doing for the past decade or more. So, TJ, where can people find you online these days? Okay, so I'm uh, on 
Twitter, I'm at Papa Deitch, which is P-O-P-P-A-D-I-E-T-S-C-H. I just started a podcast myself called The High Five Podcast with TJ Deitch, where I run down like my five favorite of something. So one of them was like body switch stories. And uh, I did one about women in horror directors recently, which was fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram at High Five, the number five TJ. And uh, you can <laughs> so I, I still write a lot from Marvel.com right now. But what I do is I do these um, comic book character profiles. So like if you search Captain America and you and you look on Marvel's website, there's like a whole rundown, multi, multiple pages of different aspects of the character. And so I write a lot of those now. So you don't see my my byline as much. So I write there and I also occasionally write for fandom.com, which is fun. It's just nice to kind of still be in the game, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. We're, that's great that you've been able to continue that as a career and be involved in that world. And yeah, thanks so much for joining us. This was a oh, lot yeah. of fun. It was a lot of fun. I love the show, man. So that about does it for this episode of The Wizard Files. We are so enjoying the opportunity to connect with those of you who made the guide to comics as special as it truly was. But if you are finding the show through these interviews, there is so much more Wizards content to enjoy. Every Wednesday, we bring you a full review and discussion based around an issue of Wizard Magazine. And then also, every other Wednesday opposite those, we have our mini-episodes, our Wizards Half series, where we get into other sections of the magazine. Finally, you know, we also have our YouTube channel, where you can find Action Figure Fury, where we dare to share some of our favorite action figures and vintage collectibles. Also, we have our Logbox roulette series where we grab random issues from our collections and tell the stories behind them and also as mentioned in this episode we have exclusive content that we dig out of the wizard vaults alex kropanak was nice enough to bring us a tour of the wizard offices from the mid 2000s again we want to thank you so much for listening thanks to the retro network for being our home so visit the retro network.com or at trn social on twitter and until next time, we're closing the files. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.